0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode six of Play DNA. My name is Cassandra, and I am here with two individuals. I'm here with Damon, the incredible filmmaker, game designer extraordinaire. Hi. <laughs> and I am here with Sarah, who is a lifetime board gamer and a budding designer herself. Hi, Sarah. Hi. <laughs> All right, before we start, Have you, Sarah, played anything new in the past couple
1: of weeks? I actually bought that game that Damon was talking about called Devon, and we've played that. Oh! It's
2: cool. It's a really nice feeling game.
1: It is, and it's pretty, and I beat Bo, so that was nice. (laughs) 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 That's awesome.
0: We haven't played anything new, I don't think. We played Spyfall recently, uh, and other than that, we've just been testing Damon's board games.
2: We learned how to play chess properly.
0: We, oh, my God, we did. We played, uh, we played chess a few days ago and realized that we didn't know some of the
1: rules. Like um, what, on par or something? What is it called? What's the pawn? On
2: pas. I don't know French, so I just, I mean, that's what that's I That's what I
1: was talking about. Well, my friend Glenn taught me that rule. Right. Yeah.
2: It's a garbage rule. Nobody knows until you get beaten by it.
0: It seems like a really important rule, but that nobody no knows. knows it. Tell me how the rule
2: works. When you start by moving a pawn, if you move it two spaces and it lands next to another pawn, then the other pawn can take the first pawn in response by on passing, taking the pawn.
0: When it's directly next to Mm -hmm. the other pawn. Right. Very strange. Anyway, yes, we did learn something new about chess. Um, Okay. So getting started, I want to start by telling you guys a story. Fun. Okay? Yes. Okay. So it's the year 1770. And Wolfgang von Kempelen has come to the Austrian court to show Empress Maria Theresa his newest invention. What he wheels in is a giant machine. It's a life-size model of a human head and torso sitting on a very large cabinet. The human is carved from wood, He has a black beard and is dressed in robes and a turban. You can imagine one of those old-timey fortune teller machines you see at carnivals or that you see in the movie Big. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. (laughs) Okay. So on the cabinet, uh, in front of this automaton, is a red and white ivory chess set. Compelling claims, my machine can defeat any person in this court in a chess game. So the Empress's advisor obligingly steps forward, at which point Compellan opens up the cabinet doors, revealing an intricate network of cogs and levers. He inserts a key into the machine, and it whirs to life. The automaton lifts its arms and moves the first chess piece, and within 30 minutes, its human challenger has been defeated. This incredible machine is now known as the Turk. Uh, So from that day forward, the Turk became an absolute sensation. It toured all over Europe playing thousands of chess games and nearly always winning. It played against Benjamin Franklin, Catherine the Great, and Napoleon. Apparently, Napoleon tried to cheat a lot. Um, As the Turk played matches, it would shake its head in frustration and tap its hand on the cabinet as though in thought. So it had a lot of really interesting human mannerisms. Uh, It even had a voice box, so it could announce checkmate when the game was won. Uh, Everywhere it went, it thrilled and terrified and perplexed its opponents. Some people actually believed that it was uh, an evil spirit. Uh, So again, evil spirits, devils, they just come up a lot in board games for some reason. Um, So uh, anyway, uh, many speculated on the inner workings of the Turk. How had Kamelin created this machine so advanced and so disconcertingly human in its intelligence and in its mannerisms. Uh, Kamelin never gave away a secret and that's because it was all a hoax. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There were many people who speculated that the Turks' critical thinking abilities were far too advanced to be coming from a machine. And that somehow a human being must be operating its movements. Uh, One of those people was actually Edgar Allan Poe, who became obsessed with the Turk and obsessed with proving that the Turk was a fraud. He was never successful at proving it, but he was correct. Uh, Inside of that giant cabinet that the Turk was sitting on was a small sliding seat that an operator, who was always an amazing champion chess player, um, could sit on. And when Compellin opened the cabinet to show its inner workings, the operator would slide to the still-concealed side. And when Compellin opened that side, the operator would slide back the other way. And that dummy machinery, all of those cogs and levers, would take its place. It would slide into place. So during gameplay, the cabinet remained closed, and the inside was lit by a single candle. Uh, the chess pieces on the table bo- above were magnetic and the magnets in the cabinet below would show the operator what was going on on the board. Uh, and the operator used a system of pulleys attached to his own arms to move the arms of the automaton. So pretty, pretty intricate, pretty incredible. It might have been a hoax, but it was a really incredible magic trick. Compellan um, even used misdirection he would carry around a box with the Turk and place it on top of the cabinet during games. And then as the game was going on, he would peer into the box periodically as though the box controlled some aspect of the machine, hoping to kind of redirect people and (laughs) uh, not notice uh, any sort of small movements or anything that might be coming from the cabinet itself. But uh, it had several operators. There were numerous operators during the time that it was touring, um, which is pretty interesting. I would love to know how he convinced multiple chess masters to uh, agree to live inside of this dark cabinet for multiple hours at a time. Um, But somehow he did. Maybe there wasn't any work for a grand chess master at the time. (laughs) They didn't have any other way to make money. Um, But it was even sometimes a dangerous job. Uh, The Turk was so popular that there were several copycats. One of them was called Ajib. Uh, it looked very similar and worked in essentially the same way. And there was an incident when a jeeb was on display at Coney Island and a poor loser got so mad at the game that he shot a jeeb in the torso. Unfortunately, the operator's apprentice was inside and he was actually killed. Um, fortunately for them, the apprentice was a transient carnival person who didn't really have anyone who would miss him, so they just dumped his body and continued with their scheme.
1: <laughs> what? That's horrible. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and after that, Ajib apparently was kind of cursed because there were several other operators after that who would get inside of Ajib and feel like Ajib was moving by himself, or they would hear weird things inside of Ajib, and uh, several grand... Uh, chess players actually quit working inside of Ajib because they were really freaked out by him. <laughs> and I don't even know if they know the story about the the apprentice dying. Probably
1: not. But apparently, Ajib was a cursed a cursed machine. Do they still have like that somewhere? You can like visit Ajib, like in a museum or something like that.
0: Unfortunately, not because Ajib was destroyed in a fire. Uh, and funnily enough, the Turk was also destroyed in a fire. <laughs> both oh of, them, gosh, so both of them died in fires. Uh, however, there was a replica made of the Turk. And I will make sure to give you that photo so that we can put it up on the website so that people can see it. He's pretty, he's a little freaky looking. It's not every day you see a, a human made of wood. Interestingly, automatons were super popular at the time. Uh, we don't really have them anymore now. I guess we have the closest thing we have is robots. Um, But automatons were very popular even before Ajib or before the Turk. Um, But they just, they didn't really do that much. They just kind of sat there and they had automatons that could draw pictures, which was really interesting. Um, And they had some that were kind of the beginning stages of, you know, those baby dolls that crawl Yes, and they, they always creep me out. Yes, like oh my God. Pictures. So I'll make sure to, to send this picture as well so everybody can see it. There's this extraordinary picture of a baby automaton, the first one that was kind of the precursor to um, those toys. And it is just the freakiest, it is the freakiest toy I have ever seen. There's a baby head and there are baby hands, but the rest of its body is just like creepy machinery you'll see it's it's an amazing picture wow but um anyway uh so yes the turk was destroyed in a fire in 1854 uh and it wasn't until after that that the actual secret behind its chess playing skills were revealed um so fortunately for Compellent, nobody ever actually figured out what was happening uh When it was still in its glory days, there was one other person of note who played against it several times, and this is Charles Babbage. Charles Babbage was a British mathematician and engineer, and he's widely considered to be the father of computers. Uh, As a learned man on the forefront of engineering, uh, he knew what was currently technologically possible, and he was not fooled by the Turk. He saw the Turk a couple of times. He also saw Ajib. Um, he knew that there was something human behind its intelligence. Um, but it did make him think about the possibility of machine intelligence. Um, the Turk continued to preoccupy his thoughts for years. He mentioned it several times in his journals and he mused about the possibility of making an actual game playing machine, um, specifically chess. He was very interested in creating a chess automaton, a real one, uh, What he was able to accomplish in his lifetime was much less than that, but (laughs) completely revolutionary nonetheless. He built something called a difference engine, which was the first machine capable of computing and printing mathematical tables. And this invention paved the way for modern computers and robotics. Uh, One of Babbage's collaborators, David Brewster, later wrote in reference to the Turk, those automatic toys which once amused the vulgar are now employed in extending the power and promoting the civilization of our species.
2: (laughs) Amused the vulgar, but the vulgar was Charles Babbage.
0: Yes, the vulgar was basically everyone. Charles Babbage and Catherine the Great.
2: So it just didn't amuse David Brewster. I guess
0: not. Uh, The Turk was popular among pretty much everyone. So uh, the Turk, this amazing technological... Illusion ultimately led to a very real and important technology revolution, and now, as we know, of course, it it never stopped. AI gets more capable every year, and games are still a yardstick by which we measure that capability. Um, we talked a little a few weeks ago uh, when we were talking about abstract games about chess and uh, in 1997, IBM's computer program Deep Blue beat champion chess player Gary Kasparov. Um, It was a highly publicized match and funnily enough, just like what happened with uh, the Turk, Kasparov actually accused IBM of cheating using a human, using human intervention, uh, saying that he saw an uncanny intelligence in the way that the computer played. Uh, I think he was just bitter. <laughs> oh, of course he was bitter. He was very bitter. It was the first time that it had happened. It was highly, it was televised. Um, I'm sure it was very embarrassing. <laughs> it it kind of sucks to spend so much time perfecting an art and then be beaten
1: at it. Uh, that would be pretty sad. The computer's like, I schooled you. Ha ha. <laughs> 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 yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely feel I definitely feel for them. It's gotta it's gotta be a weird I don't know, be a weird sensation. It's like I mean I play sports I play tennis. If suddenly there are these automatons that could play tennis and they could beat the most amazing tennis player, the hu- most amazing human tennis player, then it's like oh my god, what's even the point of learning tennis now? You you know you can still try to strive to be the best human player, but it would be extremely frustrating.
2: There's a robotics championship held every year, like the robot football championships with a bunch of robots playing soccer. What? And they play pretty awfully, but they're getting a little bit better every year.
0: Oh my god! And the
2: goal is to make a robot team that can beat a human team, and so really? far it's like a robot team that can barely beat one dog. But <laughs> every year they get a little bit tiny bit closer holy
0: crap do you know what it's called or how we would find it
2: i think it's called the international robotic football league or something
0: oh my god i have to look this up that sounds really amazing
2: it's kind of lame to watch (laughs) they fall fall over about 90 percent of the game most of the game is figuring out how to get them to to stand up after falling over because (laughs) even though the field is perfectly flat and made of astroturf they uh hit the tiniest infinitesimal bump and then they fall straight on their face <laughs> and then they get up pretty quick but you know about a tenth as fast as a real human being uh, so I guess it does kind of look like a normal European football game because, Where everybody's, because everybody's falling over falling and pretending over to be, and, be injured. And, <laughs> and, and like injured all day that's pretty much the robot game except they're not doing it on purpose it's not strategic they just can't stand oh up very well God.
1: That kind kind of reminded me of this other thing that my friends like to watch during the Olympics. They have this thing called the Marble Olympics where they basically just roll marbles down certain things and like you're betting on which marble will get across the finish line first. I've seen seen that. that. It's oddly mesmerizing. It is. It's really
2: cool looking. It's very long.
1: (laughs) It's, It's funny because you wouldn't think it'd be so mesmerizing, but it kind of is, yeah.
2: Yeah. It's, it's definitely more interesting to watch than the robot alim- the robot <laughs> football. Alim-
0: that still sounds really fun. But I'm imagining so we saw this amazing this amazing Japanese competition where they're trying to make the stupidest robot, like the, the lamest possible robot. That was a great competition. Those were amazing robots. Just like really funny robots. How are they funny? <sighs> I don't even know how to
1: explain. They're just bad.
0: They're just bad. They just, like, f- would flap around in weird ways <laughs> or, like, make really horrible sounds or, like, I don't know. There's just... Oh, God, there's something so funny about it. I don't even know what to tell you to look up. Um, Japanese. Lame. They think it was
2: just the bad robot competition. I'm gonna, it was just I'm for people who made bad
0: robots. Real quick. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yes, yeah, so I just looked it up. It's called Hibocon. The best worst robot competition. Look it up. It is excellent. Anyway, (laughs) um so we're just talking about yeah so uh Kasparov thought that IBM was cheating with a human um and then we fast forward to 2006 where during the world chess championship there was a player who was accused of excessive urination. He was going to the bathroom a lot, and his opponent believed that he was going to the bathroom to get computer assistance. Uh, And this guy claimed he had just drank a lot of water, and he ultimately did win the match. But um, it's interesting. It came back around to, um, you know, people thinking that humans are intervening, then people thinking machines are intervening. Um, Maybe someday it'll go right back to humans, I don't know. We'll see. So uh, we talked a little bit about this when we were talking about abstract games, but uh, games like Go and Shoji have now been mastered by AI. uh, And like Damon was talking about a couple weeks ago, these are all solved games. Uh, So they're games where it's possible to compute every possible state of the game and thus devise the best possible way to play. Um, These games are also complete information games, so there's nothing hidden from either player. So the next step for AI is to master a game that involves hidden information. Um, And that work has already begun. In 2019, an AI called Pluribus competed in Texas Hold'em and won against multiple professional players. So AI are becoming more capable by the day. But how interesting is it that games are the way that we're testing a machine's human abilities, its ability to follow rules and to reason and to learn. Um, it's really interesting. And maybe it says something about the human condition and what makes us special as humans.
2: It's important to note that these machines don't learn. We call them AIs. And the way we think about AIs is like a something you train as a baby and it becomes a super computer and then takes over the earth uh these are not that these are very very elaborate calculators um there is no difference fundamentally between deep blue and a very large card catalog (laughs) Uh, it is simply a an enormous catalog of different branching tree states for chess and um this is how all of these AIs have been developed. They, they don't learn better states generally. Um, they simply compute all of the states and then check against the library of states and then choose the optimum move. Correct, yeah. So
0: so when they talk about a machine learning, what they mean is like the the Texas Hold'em machine, they're playing multiple, they're playing hundreds and hundreds of games against themselves and learning in that way. So by doing that, they can figure out what strategies they can use against human players.
2: Yeah, I don't and know about Pluribus, but I'm guessing what it's what it's doing versus chess and, and Go and other uh-huh. games that are uh, perfect information. I guess that what it's doing is it plays against itself simulating games that it's seen people play. And mm-hmm. by seen, I mean it's been shown by people. Whoever made it. Right. And uh, as a result, it employs strategies that seem very human simply because human beings are employing strategies that are not actually optimum, even though they seem that they are. And as a result, people who are used to playing other Texas Hold'em players expect that it's using a strategy that seems very intelligent, Mm -hmm. that is probably completely abstract, Mm -hmm. and it has no idea what it's doing. Mm -hmm. And it just looks like it's employing a specific strategy and has a specific hand, and as a result, they bet a specific way. And they end up losing.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Pluribus specifically, the uh, the article I was reading said that it was utilizing strategies that the human players were not.
1: Hmm. It was
0: is utilizing different strategies than anything that they had ever really seen before, which was pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, the way that people think about AI, the way that we see AI in movies and television shows, is really not. It, we're not anywhere even close to that that level. artificial intelligence um it's there's a lot of illusion in it we can be tricked by by a lot of it um we can be tricked by into believing that these ais are intelligent because it's able to find patterns and mimic those patterns yeah ai can't do a lot of the things that that humans can um have you guys heard of amazon mechanical turk
2: i've used amazon mechanical turk
0: okay so Amazon Mechanical Turk is actually named after the Turk um, and the idea of Amazon Mechanical Turk it was uh, created in 2005 and it's a web-based software application that coordinates programming tasks that require human intelligence so it if if there's something just really boring computing that has to be done, but it's not the kind of computer will understand, then Amazon Mechanical Turk is a way for you to find humans to do the process for you. So it's designed to perform human tasks like uh, color comparisons is is one of the examples that I read about. Um, not something that an AI can do. Uh, there are a lot of really simple things that an AI can would not be able to figure out. Um, it, doesn't, they, it doesn't have a full grasp of language. I, I read something about if you told an AI a ball is rolling down a hill, humans understand exactly what that means immediately. We don't need any further explanation. Um, an AI would not be able to put any of those words in a context and thus would not be able to understand the sentence, which I thought was pretty interesting.
2: This is because we don't know how language works. We just guess how language
0: works. (laughs) What do you mean when you say that?
2: Uh, Fundamental foundations of linguistics are formed around assuming, for the most part, that human beings have an innate understanding of language. Mm -hmm. And to a certain extent, they also have an innate understanding of of game rules, Mm -hmm. uh, predicting certain ways that games are constructed, Mm In ways that if you try and play games with an animal, they may not understand. Mm -hmm. Like taking turns. Mm -hmm. Animals don't get that. Mm -hmm. They do get games, but they don't really understand turns. And... um, Uh, languages like this where there are specific blocks of language the basic syntax of all languages Mm -hmm. that are shared between languages that cannot be taught or understood Hmm. because you just know them um and ai is not gonna be able to figure that out because we don't know how it works right because it's innate
1: right right yeah yeah, I'm not sure I'm really understanding that. Are you talking about, like, mannerisms? Like, you can tell someone's angry in any language because their facial expression is giving it away? No,
2: so that's, like, that's like emotional expression. And yeah, your facial expressions can be shared between cultures, obviously. But, for example, babies have a language. Um, it is a shared language. It is not a random babbling sound. It is a specific babbling sound. And um, babies will always speak approximately the same the same like baby language when they're of a certain age before they learn whatever cultural dialect they're supposed to be learning. Um, they'll all kind of they, they can kind of talk to each other. I mean, they can't really they don't really have a syntax, um, but they do have like an, an animal like language. Uh, and, and mothers have a tendency to be able to understand that not in a very conscious way, but in a really uh, subconscious way. Um, that there's, like, this this structural language that's underlying everything that comes later. Mm-hmm. The really complex language that comes later is based on a much simpler syntax that's built into the brain.
0: Mm-hmm. I read some really interesting things about baby talk, too, as in the way that we talk to babies and how our voice gets higher and how we tend to put IEs at the end of words like puppy, doggy, mommy, uh, and how this is common, among all cultures. All cultures have the same sort of baby talk, the way that we speak to babies. So there's something instinctual about that as well. Yeah, language is super, super interesting. And of course we take it completely for granted because we just use it all the time. We don't realize how special it makes us as humans to have such a complex language. But yeah, it makes sense that a, a robot, a machine would not be able to figure that out Intuitively, innately. It doesn't have any intuition because it's a machine. (laughs) One recent uh, AI project that I came across is called the Digital Ludum Project. uh, And it's a research project that is aimed at using computational techniques, including AI, to recreate the rules of really, really old board games. So we've found a bunch of pieces of games, like ancient pieces of games from different cultures and different societies. Um, Some of them were buried with people. Apparently, people were buried with games sometimes. Um, But we have all the pieces, but we don't have any of the rules. And so uh, this guy, Cameron Brown, is interested in figuring out what the rules of some of these games are. Um, And apparently, the reason he wants to do that is if we can kind of track... These games and if the games were moving between cultures or similarities between games, then it might give us also a good understanding of how cultures were sharing information, which cultures were coming into contact with each other, um, give a little bit more of historical anthropology context, I guess. Um, But anyway, uh, to do this, Brown and his team first break the game down into its parts And elements, and then uh, all of those are put into the computer. And basically the computer just takes those and makes up a bunch of different games and figures out which ones are mathematically sound. Um, It doesn't seem possible, but he's been running this project for a while. And uh, they've come up with possible rule sets for many different games. Um, who knows if they're actually correct? Probably they're not correct. And um, also, you know, the machine might be able to figure out mathematically what could be done with certain elements, but it can't figure out what's fun or what's interesting or what would create a really interesting social interaction with another person. That's um, really cool, though. I mean, yeah, like it's a really interesting project. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought that was, that was pretty interesting.
1: And good for him for getting funding to do something like that. I don't know how you even do it. Yeah, how do you sell that That one? Exactly. Yeah,
0: but it is very cool. It's very cool that that's even a possibility or that it, that's something that, um, that somebody thought of. Did you guys ever play against AI players on your home computers? Like, uh, I remember playing spades or no, hearts. I remember playing hearts against three computer players, and for one thing, it felt very strange that I was playing against three computer players. Like, the one computer was playing three separate players. But it was pretty unsatisfying. (laughs) And I always thought they were way too smart. They just, like, they didn't ever make mistakes. Probably I was just terrible at the game. But I think if you're designing an AI to do something like that, it's interesting that you have to program it so that it does make mistakes occasionally so that you have a fighting chance. And I wonder how they take that step back.
2: It's just speed. It's just a question of speed.
0: What do you mean by that?
2: So like Deep Blue, for example, is not... We've had machines that can beat chess players forever. Pretty much any machine can beat a chess player. Mm -hmm. But the, the problem is the amount of time it takes. If you're playing a chess game, the game can't take 30 days. So... You need Deep Blue to beat a chess player in a reasonable amount of time. That's Hmm. what we were waiting for, Mm -hmm. was a machine that can beat someone in in the amount of time that a human being can beat someone. Hmm. Um, The machine can always beat you, but if it takes a year, it doesn't count. Right. Uh, And so in your Hearts game, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: if it makes a decision and that decision takes 30 seconds, then the mistake-making decision tree is a five second tree or a two second tree interesting it has a limit on how much time it can search
0: okay so it's given a certain amount of time to search for the best option and then with the information that it has received in that time it makes the best decision possible
2: yeah so apple computers used to so windows computers as a way of helping people use the mouse included solitaire on the computer and then a later version included hearts and a later version included spades. I don't know if the current version includes spades because it no longer includes it automatically. Um, but it's just because everybody knows how to use a mouse now and they didn't before. And it was the easiest way to get people to learn how to use a mouse was to to show them a, an analog game like Solitaire, a card game, Super that people cool. would already know um, and thus be inclined to try. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Apple uh, had a competing version. Everybody now had to have games in their OS. Um so OS X had a version of chess. It's a nice looking version of chess. It's been around for a really long time. Um but unlike spades or hearts or solitaire, chess is really hard to solve, even badly. And uh so when you set that to expert, if you used to set that an expert on like a laptop, uh it would like crash the laptop.
0: What? Uh, oh, it was no. really
2: or it would just take a really long time. It could take like five or ten minutes to make a decision.
0: Holy crap. uh,
2: Because Expert was really good at playing you, but it took a really long time to make moves.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. Hmm. I never, ever would have thought of that. But that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because it's not magic. Sometimes you look at an AI, and it's very hard to not see it as a magical entity. It still needs to function somehow. It is nothing but logic. So you should be able to logically understand how it is working.
1: Well, I used to play those too. Like I played cards when I was a kid, but I when I started really getting into Pente, I played the computer on Pente and it was way better than I was. Even the easy level was impossible to beat. So I got I got pretty frustrated with that one pretty easily, but I did learn something. Oh.
2: Pente is kind of like playing tic-tac-toe against the computer. Like you're going to lose.
1: Bo could beat the easy level and then he went up to like intermediate, but I could never even get to intermediate. So...
2: That's a good example of something where it's really hard to teach a computer to lose because Pente is so easily solvable.
1: Hmm.
2: Um, it's like a fun, simpler version of a lot of these other games, but like a human being can rationally get really good at Pente without like decades of experience. So a machine is going to get really good really fast.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Um, the first machine that was actually capable of playing chess was built in 1912. Um, They debuted it at the Paris World Fair. And I guess it wasn't actually capable of playing a full chess game. It was capable of playing like an end state in a chess game, just like a few moves. So it wasn't super capable, but it is considered to be the first um, chess playing automaton. So they have been around for a really long time since 1912, which is pretty crazy.
2: So as far as solved games go in AIs, uh, there is a video online, I think it came out know, last year or two years ago, uh, which is talking about how Magic the Gathering is a, a like an unsolvable game, and the way that prove that it's an unsolvable game is the fact that you can create a computer within it. Um, by within the rules of the game, within the actual rules of the game, you can construct a legal a tournament legal deck that when played, uh in the with some luck in the right way right in the the right order uh can construct a computer program and run a computer program that beats the opponent
0: what on earth does that mean
2: so a computer doesn't have to be electronic a computer is anything that can compute right it just has to do a computation um but all it has to do is be able to compute anything and be able to keep running in cycles which it can do it can just keep running in cycles without losing Um, And as a result, because it can't lose and can keep cycling, uh, it could be a very, very slow computer that is run by hand.
0: So essentially it automates itself. So a card might come out that says you may now draw two of these kinds of cards. It's a a
2: long video. It's like a half hour video to show exactly how the computer runs, (laughs) how he builds the deck and then how the computer runs. But it uses creatures and the numbers of those creatures to represent numbers, calculating numbers. And then it kills them off to calculate against like the way that you would delete a number in a machine. It has to kill them using the games of the, using the rules of the game and then move them along a grid in order to create a computational, like a readout so that a human can read it and it can compute. Um, so as a result it's non-solvable because the game can construct any game within it as a result of it being capable of constructing a computer, um, given a lot of luck and a lot of time (laughs) that's
0: super weird and that might be something that would be interesting to link to people on on the web page um sounds really interesting um anyway thanks for learning with me guys yeah yeah it was fun um and thank you everybody for listening um and if anybody is interested in our other episodes or seeing any of the, uh, awesome images that we talked about, the mechanical baby and the replica of the Turk, you can visit our website at playdnapodcast.com. Uh, you can also email us on there as well. This has been Play DNA, And as always play safe and don't get into the Turk box.